0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 20 is where we will be such a privilege that we get uh, to study the Word of God together. And I know, um, I, I know that we just met, but I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come in, kind of kind of heavy right off the bat here, okay? Because God has put on my heart uh, a message that I believe He's led me to to come today to bring to you, and and I want to start with this reminder. And the reminder for us in the room is is this. Um, It is possible for us, we need to remind ourselves today, that it is possible for us to live the years that God has given us on this earth and completely waste it. To just completely waste it. And now I'm not even talking about wasted in the sense of like just outright, you know, awful living, you know, just totally entrenched in sin. We kind of understand that. But we need to be reminded as we come to church today that it's possible for us to just give our lives to things that won't matter for an eternity. Uh, In fact, I've brought a definition of a wasted life with me today, and it's this. A wasted life is a life lived to exalt self and accumulate treasure here instead of exalting Christ and seeking treasure in heaven. Like, we just need to be reminded of that today. And now I recognize none of us woke up this morning and drove to church and are going, I'm, like, I'm trying to live a life exalting myself and just accumulating earthly treasure. I recognize none of us like probably are here intentionally setting out to do that. But we need to be reminded this morning that uh, when we leave church today, that we're bombarded within a cultural message that wants to get us to live to that end. The exaltation of self, me, 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 me. The accumulation of more, 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 more. And if we're not careful, we can get so sucked into that, that we can end up living a life on this earth that's just wasted, that's just not given to the things that will matter for eternity. And that's why I'm so excited for us today to drop into a conversation in Acts chapter 20. Uh, uh, you, you, many of you know this, but a bit of the context of this conversation. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he has set his face on getting back to Jerusalem. In fact, he's so passionate, I have to get back to Jerusalem. He, he actually makes mention, I, I don't even want to go directly through Ephesus, because in Ephesus, there's this church I love, full of people I love, full of these leaders I love. And he's like, I can't get caught there. i got to get back to Jerusalem. And so uh, on his way back, he stops in a city called Miletus. And it's uh, while he's there that he calls the leaders of the church in Ephesus. He calls the Ephesian elders to himself. And we get to drop in on the conversation that Paul is having here. And now, this is such a privilege for us. Because one of the things Paul says in this conversation is like, hey, I know I'm never going to see your face again. So think about that. These are his like parting words To a group of church leaders he absolutely loves, in a city and part of a church that he absolutely loves, what does Paul have to say to them? And there's something in Acts chapter 20 verse 24 that I believe for us today is the key to hear what Paul says so that we don't spend the years of our life on this earth having wasted it. And so I want to pray and ask for God's help, then I want to read the text, and then we're going to make our way through it together. Father, uh, when we just stop right now, because we are so desperately in need of your help, Lord, I'm just like, I'm, I'm so powerfully reminded right now that we can be in this room and we can, we can go through the routine of this, but Lord, without your Spirit among us, Spirit of the living God, driving the living and active word into our hearts. Oh, Lord, nothing nothing of eternal lasting significance happens. So, God, please, you tell us that your word will accomplish that which it sets forth to accomplish. You tell us your word is living and active. Lord, you tell us that if we will just simply preach Christ without eloquent words, Lord, you will work through that. So, God, I ask you and I beg you right now. Would you come do a work in our midst that only you can do so only you can get the glory for it? Please, God, I know you delight in answering that prayer. And I pray this now in the power of Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen closely. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I just want us to stop there because I don't want us to just hear what Paul says in those verses. I want us to feel, I want us to feel that. Uh, you, Paul has called this, this, this group of church leaders that he loves, and here he is having this final conversation face-to-face with them. And uh, in the midst of this, he, he says to this group he loves and this group that loves him, Off I go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's about to happen to me, but here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Now feel this. Feel feel what it would be like for someone you love to walk into your living room a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a dear friend, and and they look at you and they say, We know God has called us to the city. We don't know what is awaiting for us there, but here's what we do know the Holy Spirit has testified that imprisonment and afflictions await us. In your flesh, what do you want to say to the one you love? Don't go. There's gotta be another way. There's gotta be another place. Surely this cannot be the will of God on your life. And this is the message Paul has delivered. And when you read this, of what Paul has just said, and then when you study Paul's life, you're like, man, you just keep walking into these cities, proclaiming the gospel, getting beat for it, thrown out of town, and off to the next city you do to do it again. How do you do that? And I think it's something he says in verse 24. That helps us understand how it is that He's given His life to this. And it's in verse 24 that I believe we'll build an outline together of how do we not waste our life. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How do you not waste your life? Let's build our outline from this verse right here. It starts with this. It starts with this. You consider your life of no value. Point number one, you consider your life of no value. Now that hits us a bit abruptly, does it not? I don't know about the bookstores around here, but but in Indianapolis, we don't walk into the bookstores and hit the self-help section and find a title like that, okay? You with me on that? Like, the, the, like what I, what we've just put on the screen, uh, what Paul just says at the beginning of verse 24 is so radically countercultural to any of the messaging that we are constantly inundated with. Consider your life of no value. In fact, you might be here today or you might be watching and you came to church with a friend and, 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 and you're kind of been exploring this whole following Jesus thing and the first thing this crazy American pastor puts on the screen is this and you're like, what? who are these people, what is this place, and what are we doing here, right? What does Paul mean when he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself? We gotta spend some time understanding this. Three questions that I'm building off of this to help us understand this. What does this mean? What does this mean? For Paul, for Paul, here's what this means. Meeting Jesus totally reshaped for Paul all of the values in which he was living by and all of the treasures in which he was seeking. So when Paul was walking that Damascus road that day that the Lord Jesus Christ met him and a bright light shone about him and the Lord Jesus quite literally put him flat on his back and called him to himself, Paul's life was radically transformed. Up until that day, the apostle Paul was a rising star in the world of Phariseeism. Like he, if there was a, if there was a, a you know, Pharisees under 40 list, Paul was on it. it. He says, and you don't have to turn there, just listen to it, I'll read it. In, in Philippians 3, he kind of lays out his resume that was true of his life. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he's reasoned for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But then in verse 7 of Philippians 3 he says this, but whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Wow. Wow. Indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Boom. There's where everything changed. He says, here was the resume. Here's what was true in my life. I was a rising star. I was was climbing the ranks, so to speak. But on the day I met Jesus Christ, all of that stuff that I treasured and I valued and I lived for above everything else, he said it all became rubbish. Why, 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 Paul? Why did all that become rubbish? Because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. When Paul says, I count my life of no value, what he's saying, in light now of knowing Jesus Christ, my life is completely at his disposal, completely in his hands. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. I am an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, as Paul Tripp would say. It. Now, now, why, a second question we ask related to this, why, why is this crucial to a, to a life that is unwasted? Why is this crucial to an unwasted life? Here's why this is crucial. We have to, like Paul, come to the place where we can say, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. And In, in, in light of what Jesus Christ has done to save me from my sin and call me to himself and fill me with his spirit, to see that my life is now at his uh, disposal to be used in whatever way he sees fit. We have to come to this place because if we don't, what we will do is we will live our life to simply preserve self or exalt self, to protect self or exalt self. It, 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 until we come to the place where we can say, like Paul, I account my life of no value nor as precious to myself that I, I just want to run the course Jesus has called me to, we will make every decision in our life to protect ourselves or to exalt ourselves. Think about that. Like, like we, we would never, we, wouldn't, we would never, when the Lord shows up and calls and says, I want you to go there and do this, and, 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 and we ask the question, but is it safe? But is it safe? Do you ever find the Apostle Paul asking the question, is it safe? He's like, I go. This is what we do, but, but until we come to this place, we will make decisions in life that exalt ourselves or that preserve ourselves. But now why? a third question that is so important, why does your greatest joy hinge on this? Because we, we can look at the first point of the sermon, we can look at the beginning of verse 24 and be like, Oh, that sounds heavy, that sounds hard, that sounds harsh, that sounds painful, that sounds not fun. But until we understand that once our lives have been so captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ, our greatest joy hinges on us abandoning ourselves into the service of King Jesus. Our greatest joy hinges on that. And you know, you know this. You and I both know this. The times in your life of greatest joy have not been the times you've been so caught up in yourself, right? Like none of us are in the room going, you know what the time of greatest joy in my life is? When I was just standing in a mirror looking at me, right? We are times of greatest joy. Think about them. Think about them in your life. The times of greatest joy are when you have been so swept up by the glory of the Lord so, so, such a pronounced understanding of how God in a moment is using you. Those are the times of greatest joy. And so when Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, it is a key to our joy. Now, I, I want to give us some motivation to actually, to actually desire to live like this to actually be able to say with Paul, like this is a good investment of our life to account it of no value nor is precious. And, and I want to I I give us some motivation through some, some group participation. And so I want you to, if you know the first name of both your parents, would you just put your hand in the air and keep your hand in the air? First name of both your parents. Just hand in the air, keep your hand in the air. Um, keep your hand up if you know the first name of all of your grandparents, okay? First name of all of your grandparents, okay? Good. Keep your hand in the air if you know the first name of all your great-grandparents. Yeah, there's the weed-out course right there, right there. Uh, But there's still some, any hand, first name of a great, all first name of great-grandparents, good. Now keep your hand in the air if you know the first name of all your great-great-grandparents, okay? Uh, She's trying, Uh, it's kind of, we got some kind ofs. Okay, now, here's where, here's where I want to encourage you. Be encouraged. Your own family won't even remember your first name three to four generations from now. Are you built up in the Lord? <laughs> I, I was just preaching at a local high school and I did this with them. All the high, they were like mad. They're like, you're such a loser, man. Like, Why did you, why did, do, not let that, do not let that frustrate you, let that liberate you. Do not let that depress you. Let that excite you. Let that truly. If three to four generations from now, your family doesn't know your name, but they know the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Now, 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 with that reality... And with a culture that pumps into us, what's your legacy? What are you, Brock? What are you building? What's gonna last? What's gonna last? We can say, no, that's stupid. That's foolish. How How now do I steward the years, Lord Jesus, that you gave me so that your name permeates the generations of our family and beyond? This is why, considering your life of no value, is a good investment of our lives. Now, Paul goes on, and we're, we're just using this verse to build our outline. And, and I, I want to bring, bring up this verse in the first in the translation I'm reading from, the ESV. It says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. And then there's two words or, there after the comma if only. If only. Now, uh, there's an, uh, another study translation I'll use called the NET, and the NET says it like this, But I do not. Consider my life worth anything to myself so that. And and the NET helps us understand something in the original language there, that this if only or this so that has a purpose to it. That's, That's a big deal. I love when the Bible says so that. I love when the Bible gives us a purpose of why it just said what it said. So Paul says, I do not consider my life worth anything to myself. I don't count it valuable nor as precious for this purpose. And here's the purpose, that I may finish my task and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. So let's go to the second point. Let's let this verse guide our outline. Consider your life of no value so that you finish the course and ministry given to you by Jesus. So that you finish the course and the ministry given to you by Jesus. This is what Paul's saying here. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious. Why? Because I just want to run the course God has called me to run. I just want to finish the course Jesus has given me to run. And we know about, Jesus, or we know about Paul's course in ministry, the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who uh, went on these three missionary journeys, who took the gospel as a pioneer into new places, who, who established the church. And we read about Paul's course and ministry in the book of Acts, and we see the letters that he's penned that we now read as Holy Scripture. And we say, Thank you, Lord, for Paul's course and ministry. But here's what's so encouraging to us in this room if you are blood bought, born again by Jesus Christ, given the Spirit of God, you have a course and ministry that God has called your life too, as well. You with me on that? Like, we have to believe that. That there is a course and there's a ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to fulfill as well. And Paul says the key is that we have abandoned ourselves to say, I'm no longer living like I'm the most valuable thing on this earth so that I can finish the course and fulfill the ministry given to us by Jesus. So let me say a few things about our course and ministry that we want to fulfill that we want to finish the first thing i want to say about this is you have you have unique spiritual gifts to build up the church i i feel i feel like i feel so constrained to constantly be reminding our church that if you're born again you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You've been indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has given you spiritual gifts that the Spirit that the, that God invites you to to be used and to be exercised and to be stewarded for the building up of the body of Christ. Every single one of us in this room must be faithful to be using the gifts God has called us to for the building up of the body. Uh, a few years ago, I got into this season this season, uh, this season uh, uh, where I was enjoying running, and it was a short season, okay? But it was a season there where I enjoyed... Any runners, runners in the room? Runners in the room? Y'all are crazy, okay? It's just crazy. But I, th- I found myself in a season where I started to increase my mileage, and I would find myself at work during the day like, wow, I actually can't wait. I can't wait to go for a run after work. I'm like, who am I? Like, what happened to me? But as my mileage increased, uh, it, something began to happen. Around the three to four mile mark every day, I would get the worst pain on the side of my knee. And they like, man, when that set in, it was just like, run is over, I'm done. Uh, across the road from us at that time uh, was a high school, uh, high school cross country coach. And he was outside one day and I'm like, Jerry, man, you gotta help me. I'm hitting three to four miles every day and my knee is killing me, like right here on the side. He goes, oh, you need to strengthen your hips. I said, no, Jerry, you didn't hear me. I said, my pain is on the side of my knee. He said, you didn't hear me. You need to strengthen your hips. So what are you talking about? He said that you're getting the pain on the side of your knee because you have weak hips, and your knee is compensating for the weakness in your hips. Same in the body of Christ. When we're all not exercising the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us for the building up of the body, the body has to compensate, you have, if you're in Christ, unique spiritual gifts to build up the church. Oh, that God would help us move from spectators to stewards within the body of Christ. We are so conditioned in the Western church to spectate. I love you, and I'm going to get on a plane, so if I make you mad, <laughs> stop spectating. Stop spectating. Steward the gifts that God has given you. And you have such great church leaders who can help you discern and discover what those are. Second, second thing is it pertains to running the course and fulfilling the ministry that Jesus has given us. We have unique mission fields. You have unique mission fields to make Jesus known. You have unique mission fields to make Jesus known. Now, on this point, I wanna to talk to some of you first and then all of you next. So let me start with some of you, Okay. So if you're in the all of you camp, don't listen right now, okay? Uh, the the, the sum of you, as it pertains to this whole idea of counting your life of no value nor is precious, but fulfilling the ministry and running the course Jesus has called you to, some of you need to move right now for great commission kingdom advancement. And the Lord has been stirring in your heart. There's mission fields across the globe or even across the city or across your neighborhood that you feel the Lord propelling you to. Uh, we, we support a, a church revitalization in Germany. And uh, there's a young couple in our church, young couple, young family, uh, the husband's an electrician, and, and they just approached us and they said, God is calling us to help be part of that revitalization in Münster, Germany. We're, we're gonna move there and I'm gonna take my trade as an electrician and I'm gonna go work in Germany and we're gonna be part of this work. Praise God, praise God. And God is calling some of you in this room to that. And I pray that if the Lord is calling you to that, you would not harden your heart to that call and you would obey now to most of you, most of you are called to stay. And as we talk about running the course and ministry that Jesus has called us to, you we have to come to terms that you have unique mission fields to make Jesus known. When you go to work tomorrow and you walk into your workplace, I just want you to look around. I want you to look around with fresh eyes and, and not just see only coworkers, but to see the mission field in which God has called you into daily. When you go to school Students, when you go to school, so passionate for you, I'm so passionate for you. When you go to school, look around. It's not just friends and classmates in your midst. It's the mission field that God has called you to day by day, week by week. When you climb, parents, when you climb into the stands of your kids' sporting events or activities, look around. For that season, these aren't just the fellow parents. They're the mission field that God has brought you into every Tuesday night or Thursday night with some regularity. We have to embrace the unique mission fields that God has called us to. And if I can say something to you, not just as Hope Bible Church, but as the church in Toronto, I am so, so passionate because I believe Toronto and the greater Toronto area is such a strategic Great Commission city. I've been here three times now in the last year. The first time, the Lord put that so heavy on my heart, like, oh my goodness, the nations are here, the nations are here. The second time, the Lord drove that down even deeper. The third time, I'm like, you all, listen, you are such a strategic, great commission city. Would you be faithful to the mission fields God has called you into? Like, like in Indianapolis, there's, there's some of the nations there, but for the most part, you walk around Indianapolis, you go, where are you from, Indiana? Where are you from, Indiana? Where are you from, Indiana? That's not the case here. The nations are here. Oh, that we'd be faithful to the unique mission fields to make Jesus known. Thirdly, as we think about running the course and fulfilling the ministry that Jesus has called us to, you have unique roles. You have unique roles from Jesus to steward. I want you to think about some of the titles that the Lord has entrusted to you in your life. Some of you are moms, others dads. We're sons and we're daughters. Some of you are employers and some of you are employees. We're friends. We have these unique roles that the Lord has entrusted to us. And he's saying, I want, us to, I want you to be faithful. I want you to account your life of no value nor as precious so that you will be faithful to do what I'm asking you to do with the unique roles that I've called you to. Um, I, I live with a bit of a perpetual restlessness and that is a good thing, I think, in some ways. And it's from the Lord. And then some of it's, you know, my own struggles and, 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 and you know, my own flesh gets in there. But I live with a sense of perpetual restlessness. And I, uh, I was sitting on the couch uh, a few years back in the midst of a season where I was just wrestling with the Lord uh, Lord, Lord, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you calling me to? Lord, what's the life work you've given us to do? We want to be faithful to that. We don't want to waste these years. And, and I'm sitting on the couch and uh, at my feet, uh, we, had, we had had our oldest son. And then shortly after that, we had had another son. And then, and then shortly after that, the Lord blessed us with twins. And my wife's amazing, right? Just like, whoa. And, and so I'm sitting there talking to the Lord Lord, what's the life work? What do you want us to be about? What, do you, what, what, what have you asked us to do? And there's just this, this chaos of toddler on the floor in front of me. And the Lord, the Spirit of God, just the way the Spirit of God does, he just prompted my heart, look down, look down. Brock, there's your life work. Just looking into that sea of toddler chaos, there's your life work. Be faithful to the roles, be faithful to the responsibilities that I have entrusted to you. When Paul says, I account my life, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. It It was his not accounting himself so important that helped him to understand, I'm just here to run the course and fulfill the ministry Jesus gave me, and us too. We're here to run the course and fulfill the ministry Jesus gave us, and we're here to finish that, finish that course. So, We've just said all of us in this room have a bit of a unique course and a bit of a unique ministry, uh, but, but I, but I want to make this point. Consider your life of no value so that you finish the course and ministry given to you by Jesus with the goal of this. We all share the same goal. We all have the same finish line, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 24. If only I may finish my course And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We account our lives of no value so that we can fulfill the ministry, the unique ministry and courses God, Jesus Christ has asked us to fulfill. All the while testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Testify. I think we got that word here. Testify. Testify means to give evidence as a witness. Can we testify together in this room today of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed your life? Can you testify to that? Can you testify to that? Like we sometimes we can get so we can get so worked up and so worried and so fearful of testifying to the gospel cuz we're like, oh, this could get awkward and how are they going to receive this and you know, I you know, there's all these things going into it. We must stand along the way and testify the gospel of the grace of God Uh, um, I grew up in the church Uh, I grew up in good churches I grew up in churches that preached the word I grew up in churches that worshipped Jesus and I grew up going to church every Sunday where the word was preached and where Jesus was worshipped and I was as spiritually dead as spiritually dead can be and, and I knew I knew how to look the part. I knew how to walk in. I knew all the songs we would sing. I knew how to have a Bible in front of me and open it some Sundays, not every Sunday. But then come Friday or Saturday night, I looked very much not that same part. And I was going through all the motions. I was doing all the things. If you're, if you're a college or high school student in the room, I just prayed that God would give you a special attentiveness right now uh, because I knew all of the facts about Jesus in my head. I grew up in West Michigan. I had always planned. There was this uh, Christian college right there on Lake Michigan, and I was going to go play football at that college. And, and late in the process, a school out of Indiana, it's a little school in Indiana called Wabash College. Uh, you've probably never heard of it, but here's the unique thing about Wabash. Wabash is an all-male college. And so this, this school in Indiana in the middle of cornfields that said, yeah, we're a school of 900 men. And I'm like, how many, how many women? Zero. Why would I go there, right? But anyway, God just God just began to stir in my heart. I'm not even saved at this time, but when I say like God was leading me down to this place, God was leading me down to this place. And so I show up to football camp my freshman year. All this had knowledge of growing up in the church, growing up around things, Christian things. And as a 19-year-old at football camp my freshman year, the Lord had taken me out of West Michigan. He had completely stripped down all of the identity that I had built my life on, all of this stuff that will not last, all the sinking sand, and in a, and in a big dorm room just lined with bunk beds, and the the top floor of the Sigma Chi house at Wabash College, Jesus Christ called me to himself. He called me to himself. I always say all that head knowledge of 18 years came crashing down into my heart, and Jesus saved me by his grace. How has the gospel of Jesus Christ saved you? The world needs to hear those stories. We are to be a people who testify. The next word he says, what are we testifying to? We're testifying testifying to this good news, this gospel. We are people who carry around with us the best news in all the world. We carry around with us the best news in all the world, and we're to testify to this. It's good news, and it's good news of God's grace. We have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know how good news the God. You know how good news it is that this this gospel is a gospel of grace, because you and I couldn't get there. You and I couldn't earn it. You and I, we could white knuckle it the rest of our lives and try to do good and be the best we can. In and it would not be good enough before a holy God, but a holy God sent His Son down into the world, and the cross of Jesus Christ laid over the chasm that had separated us from God in our sin, and He calls us to Himself by His grace. We carry that message, and then we go back into our neighborhoods, our workplace, our schools, and at times we're just like, Ugh, "I don't do that." It might be a little awkward to talk about it. Oh, we're done with that, right? We're done with that. The world must hear the good news, the gospel of grace. Amen. Amen. So we do not account our life of any value nor is precious to ourselves so that we can finish the race, finish the course, and fulfill the ministry that Jesus has called us to as ambassadors of him to testify to the gospel of his grace everywhere that we go. But before I wrap this up, I just want to show you from uh, a chapter in Matthew's gospel I want, to, I want to give us a very tangible example uh, of what a wasted life looks like and then what an unwasted life looks like. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with the story. It's a, it's a story of what we often call the rich young ruler. And it, and it says this, "...and behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good?" There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Me, The Lord putting his finger right on this man's heart to say, I want you to abandon everything. I want you to give up the thing you love the most so that you could actually love me more and follow me. Now this, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 19 is just tragic. Feel the tragedy of this. Feel the tragedy of this. When the young man heard this, he went away. He went away what? He went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He went away sad. He walked away from Jesus sad. Hear that again. He walked away from Jesus. Sad. And all of the watching world, the people who did not yet know Christ, they went, what a life. He's rich. He's young. He's powerful. What a life. He's got everything. He's rich. He's young. He's powerful. And everyone who had actually known Jesus, said, what a waste. What a waste. How sad. Now look at this. Look at, the, look at the testimony this was to Jesus' disciples later in the same chapter. And Jesus said to his disciples, "'Truly I say to you, only with difficulty "'will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven.'" Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said, right, Peter? He's always saying. Then Peter said in reply, See, look at what Peter says. We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Do you see it? Do you see it? All of the watching world at that time would have looked upon the disciples of Jesus Christ and would have looked at them and said, look at them, they left everything, how foolish. They have nothing, what waste, what a wasted life. They don't even have a place to lay their head. What a wasted life. And everyone who had truly met the Lord Jesus Christ would have looked and said, what a life. What a life. Church, today, we come to a place again Where we can walk out of here and go, there is no greater, no higher, no loftier calling than to abandon myself completely into following Jesus wherever, whatever, however he says to follow. Amen? Amen. And so I I just want to invite you to stand, and in just this moment here, I just I just want to lead us through a time, if you just stand and bow your head, I just want to pray uh, this verse over us. I want to ask that God would press these realities into our hearts and that he would apply them as he sees fit. And so with you standing with your head bowed, I just want to read Acts 20 verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And with uh, the help of God right now, by the power of His Spirit, I just want to pray and ask, uh, Lord, if there's any in here right now who, uh, like my own story, maybe have gone to church years and years and years, but have never surrendered to you as Lord of their life, I pray even in this moment that Acts 20, 24 would come to bear on their heart and lead them to a place of believing and following after you that they would be born again right here in this moment right now. God, do that. Lord, I pray Acts 20, 24 over every individual heart in here, I just pray that right now your spirit is ministering to each and every individual heart to bring your word to bear in specific ways in which you're calling this word to come to bear on their heart, that they would not be hearers only, but they would be doers. I pray this over our vocational realities. I pray for those in here who own businesses that Acts 20 to 24 would come to bear on how they think about leading the businesses, companies, corporations, you've called them to. I pray it for all of the people in here who are workers that Acts 20 to 24 would come to bear on their vocational life, that we would not spend the years of our life just only focused on how much we can accumulate here and now, that in the moment, the moment you call us home will just be gone, just gone in a moment. God, bring that to bear. And Lord, I just pray for boldness. However you're asking this to be applied, oh Lord God, that we would respond. Lord Jesus, because within three to four generations, no one will even remember our first name. That liberates us to live a life so that the name of names is exalted over all. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.